This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's your Baz from Massive Wagons, and you're listening to Jay Scott on the Pup Rocks. Welcome back. It is Jay Scott, and it's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I appreciate you tuning in once again. Thank you very much. Don't forget to write us a review after you finish the episode. We've got a great one for you today. Uh, we are part of Pantheon Podcasts and a great platform of music-related podcasts. There's something for everyone on the platform with all different types of music tastes and genres and styles and whatever you're into. Go check it out at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. Check out The Hook Rocks on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app for automatic downloads so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've got over 470 at this point. We're approaching our four-year anniversary in a few months, so we're excited about that. And can't wait to see what we have in store. What I don't even know what we have in store for that show. So I got to start planning it, but it's going to be fun to do. Uh, another milestone here for the hook rocks and this could not be done without all of you and without all the great guests. So look forward to some announcements in the coming months on that episode. Don't forget uh, we are available on all podcast platforms. So follow us wherever you podcast, Spotify, Apple. Google, Amazon, wherever we're available. And like I said, set your app to automatic download so you get all the episodes. And we've had some great ones over the last week or so. We just interviewed Emily, Guernica, and Mona, formerly of Thunder Mother and now of the Gems. Great conversation, really honest and candid. Uh, always enjoy talking with Guernica. And this is the first time we spoke with Emily and Mona. And we talked about Guernica and Mo- Mona's solo projects that they um, released singles for earlier in the year, or maybe I think Gernika was late last year. 
Um, so check those out. Both of those are the intro and outro of the episode. And then we talked about the elephant in the room, the, the Thunder Mother, whatever you want to call it, man. It's, uh, the, them leaving Thunder Mother, Gernika getting fired and the other girls following her and just an open and honest conversation that I, I think you'll enjoy. And of course, what's next with their new band, The Gems, which I can't wait to hear. Uh, their first single is targeted to drop at the end of April. I hope it does, but if not, I'm sure it'll be soon thereafter. And how they describe it is a mixture of Deep Purple and Maiden. So I'm all excited about that. And we also had Baz from the great UK band Massive Wagons. Talked about the album Trigger and a bunch of other things. And, of course, South of Eden on the latest New Music Spotlight or the New Music Spotlight before the Gems. We did our live album review of Exit Stage Left with the Recividus and Chris Tapp of The Cold Stairs about their new album, Voices. If you haven't heard it yet, go check it out. It is absolutely phenomenal. Of course, Dorothy Martin joined us prior to that, too, on her second visit to the Hook Rocks in the last few months. Always enjoy talking with her. Uh, great performer, great artist, great person. So check out that great interview. We did a review of the Winery Dog Show, which kind of leads into my next guest because happened to see him there along with the other great followers like High Stick Mick and USA and Chris and Steve Hild. I'm going to pronounce it. Hopefully that's correct. I got to check in with him and make sure I'm doing that right. But it's nice that we have a small group of people here in Chicago that we see from time to time at shows and go to shows with each other, uh, end up being there. We, we got to do like a, a dinner prior one of these days because we've got so much to talk about. And it was a great performance by the Lottery Dogs. Uh, oh, so, what a show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, every time I see those guys, they get better. First time I saw them was at Reggie's, which was their first performance, I think. And then they announced the Dirty Nelly show in that performance. Saw them at that four years ago at the Arcada. This time was back at the Arcada. I've never seen the Arcada that packed. I've never it was heard hopping. It was hopping. It was hot, just like old school show. And the crowd was so present. It was great. It felt like a show back in the day. Well, yeah, there were people filming. You know, I had a guy in front of me with his flash on for three songs. What are you going <laughs> to do? It's the way of the world right now. But what a performance. And I did a great review on it. Check it out. If you haven't seen this band and you call yourself a rock and roll fan, you must see them. Uh, they are just the top of the food chain in terms of musicianship, in terms of bands. Um, I mentioned on the review, they've got a very progressive feel to them. But what separates them, what makes them different is the R&B soulful tones that Richie Kotzen brings to the three piece that really a lot of other prog bands don't really have. And it's a it's a unique way to present the music. They are a classic rock sounding band. I don't want to mislead anybody, For sure. but they do have a lot of prog elements. Of course, you know, Billy and Mike um, and of course, Richie, who can shred with the best of them. But there's that soulful aspect of their sound that just makes it almost perfect. And they are a band that I have to see every time they come in town because you spend half the time shaking your head, half the other time with your jaw dropped. And just going, what the fuck am I listening to? It is a rock and roll orgasm, as I like to say. And my next guest, Rob, you can find him at Skylab Tapes on Twitter, was at the show. I know he enjoyed it, but it's good to have oh, you. It was, just, it was just amazing, man. And it, it's so funny because it was, uh, you know, like you, I've seen them before. So I can't say that it was a surprise, right? 
Right. You know, I mean, I knew what was coming and still just absolutely blown away. I, I somehow, if anything, they were better than they were four years ago, in my opinion. It was just, how is that possible, right? I, exactly. How is that possible? Because they're exactly. so they're so phenomenal. And there's that song Scars that I I've told so many people. There's this breakdown in the middle of the song where Billy and yeah. are just are just hanging on that that beat and that driving bass line. Doo, 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 and I turn to my buddy and I go, it sounds like a locomotive. Like, and it was going on for like three minutes. Yeah. I'm just a perfect timing. It wasn't fast. It wasn't too slow. It was right in the pocket and they were just hanging on it. And Richie's just going off doing his thing, which is what Richie does. But man, it was, it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. Just stellar. No doubt. A really good time. Yep. And, uh, like you said, good to see you and the rest of the Groove Council, uh, Chicago Groove Council folks there it was, uh, it was that happening Friday night. Yeah. I can't wait to see him again. Can't wait to see you guys again. I know there's some shows coming up that we'll be running into each other. Um, For sure. You know, the, the, the spring show announcements and the sh- summer show annou- announcements are coming if they haven't happened already, but it's going to be a big year for music. As I keep mentioning, this first quarter of new releases has just been mind blowing compared, <laughs> compared to the last year first quarter where it was like, a, a, a deserted wasteland at times. Yeah, that's actually really true. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm the most, uh, I think I'm the most prog leaning of, uh, of our little group. And uh, I mean, Q1 from a prog lover perspective has just been outrageous. I mean, unbelievably great new albums by Haken and Riverside and Catatonia and Clone. I mean, it's just, it's like boom, boom, boom. Uh, yeah. I mean, big, big time, unbelievable records. In addition to, of course, that uh, great new Winery Dogs album. Yeah, and there's just so much, and there's so much more coming. I know in 2021, we ended up doing a top 30 list for the end of year, and I'm thinking we're probably going to have to do that again. If this is uh, if this is the what's, a sample of what's to come, I don't know how we're going to do this because serious. there's so many phenomenal albums so far. I can't, I, I can't imagine what's going to happen. It seems like everybody is releasing a new album. In fact, even bands that list, uh, release stuff last year are coming out with stuff. You know, there are some. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I, I, of course, being music fans, you know, you and I are totally excited about this. This is, this is kind of like, this makes us hard happy. not to talk about it. Yep. Yes. <laughs> like, like for, for members of the Groove Council and a lot of people that listen to the show, of course, you're music fans. And I, a lot of people may not be into to new music, to new rock and roll, whether it's from a legacy artist or a new band or artist, emerging artist, whatever. I get excited when I know that I'm probably going to be bankrupt by the end of the year with the, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of music that is coming out because I just I love everything about music. It's always captivated me. You know, it's basically music and sports, basically. Are, are my two, yeah. uh, and then if you want to kind of throw one, I'm kind of a bit of a foodie in terms of, you know, quality restaurants and quality food, kind of a, you know, a self-proclaimed snob when it comes to that. Although there are great hole in the wall places in Chicago too, that you can get a great meal, but that's a totally different topic. But back to music. Yes. It's right up our alley. I can't wait. And I can't wait for the conversation for with you today too, as well, because we've got a little special conversation and just want to let everybody know, full disclosure, prior to us getting onto this, uh, uh, zoom call and recording, 
Rob turned the camera around and showed me what he's sitting next to. And I know what I want for Christmas. <laughs> it is beautiful. It is magnificent. And we're going to be talking about vintage audio on this yeah. episode. And I'm thinking when he showed me this, and he doesn't know this yet, when he showed me this, it spawned the idea of we should pick out every quarter a vintage audio piece and talk about it. Oh, I like that idea for sure. I knew you would. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it, it was it was it was in fact this piece of equipment which uh, uh, which as I mentioned is a is a Pioneer SX 1980. Um, one of the you know it was Pioneer's pinnacle receiver in the era that was uh, that was literally you know there was the muscle car wars of the 70s. Well, there was also the monster receiver war of the 70s. Uh, and this was Pioneer's entry in the Monster Receiver Wars, 80 pounds, 270 watts per channel, just, a, you know, just an absolute, you know, g- gorgeous beast of a machine. It's like a um, V8. Uh, for sure. It's like, I mean, it's that exact kind of thing. It's like, you know, it's like that kind of, uh, of car experience, except for, uh, for audio lovers. And it was, it was that piece of gear that made me think of this topic because, you know, as you know, I was sort of struggling what to do this quarter because next quarter, uh, we're going to talk about new audio uh, um, uh, equipment because there is the Expona Audio Show in Chicago in the middle of April. So I get to go and and look at all of the latest and greatest toys uh, in the audio world, everything from uh, you know the you know the sort of entry level stuff that all sorts of people would like to buy, you know, on up to not kidding, you know, quarter of a million dollar loudspeakers and three hundred thousand dollar turntables and uh, you know everything in between. Um, and so that's perfect for next time. And today we're going to do basically the polar opposite, and we're going to talk about audio gear of the past. <laughs> well, what you showed me is an absolute beauty. I mean, it is a sexy, sexy machine, and I, I said to. Rob, prior to getting on this and starting this interview, that thing could drive a spaceship. That thing yeah. is like the flux capacitor in Back to the Future. It is amazing. Like he turned around, my mouth dropped. I was like, oh my God, holy cow. And the speakers are gorgeous. And from what I remember, Pioneer was all over rock magazines back in the day. Oh they, yeah. They had the, you know, the receivers and the speakers and all that stuff. And when you walked into a house and one of your buddies had pioneer speakers, you knew you were in for it was going to be a good day listening to music because those things hummed and they sounded incredible. I don't mean literally hummed. I mean, just they cooked. Like, oh, yeah. Like they they were just gorgeous sound and just full sound. They filled the room no matter no matter where you put them. They sounded incredible. Yeah. And this, you know, this was the, this was really the peak era for Pioneer. And it's funny because when, when this receiver was built in 1979, I was 13 and I, you know, I couldn't afford anything even remotely like it. Right. I would get this catalog from JNR Music World in the mail. Cause of course, back then it was mail, it was mail catalogs. Right. I mean, you know, there was obviously no other way to learn about this kind of stuff. And I would just flip through the pages of, of that gear, like a lot of, you know, like a lot of teenagers did in that era when every teenager wanted a good stereo. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'd look at this stuff and especially some of the pioneer gear and just dream, I would just dream about it. It was not something that was even close to reality for me. So, you know, you fast forward, uh, uh, you know, whatever, like, uh, 40 years, uh, or maybe a little less. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I set, uh, uh, I set 
decided I was going to put a stereo up here where my office actually also is. And I said, you know what? This is going to be a vintage rig. Um, I am going to do all vintage audio up here. Uh, you know, there, there's, there, there's nothing, there's nothing in this stereo that was made after 1985. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was certainly both about sound quality and about nostalgia, but, you know, vintage audio has become, uh, has become a very popular thing, uh, for a couple of reasons. It actually kind of started with bargain hunters, right? Um, you know, people would go to garage sales and, and find stuff from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, whatever, um, and that people were essentially getting rid of. Um, and you could actually buy some unbelievable stereo equipment, uh, you know, obviously at a garage sale, you never know if it's going to really work or not or for how long, but you could get, you know, some unbelievable stuff for very, very cheap. Um, but the other thing that drives people to vintage audio, which was certainly more what, uh, you know, what my interest was is that nostalgia factor, right? I mean, I put together the, I, I literally did what again, a lot of middle-aged guys do with cars, right? I put together the stereo I wanted as a 13 year old, but couldn't afford. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, that, uh, uh, it's been unbelievably fun. It's a very different, uh, it's a very different sound and vibe to the stereo that I have that you've seen in my, in my family room. Um, but, uh, but it's a, it, it's a gas. So I thought we, as I, as you know, I usually like to do, I thought we'd start out with a little bit about, you know, kind of what we even mean by vintage audio, right? And then, uh, we can talk about some of the things to look for, uh, and, uh, um, and, and I have some specific recommendations about certain types of gear. Um, you know, vintage, vintage for audio. First of all, we're not talking about antiques here, right? Um, uh, you know, antiques are things that are like a hundred years old. There was no usable audio gear a hundred years ago. So that is, that is not what we're talking about. You know, the real, the real heyday period of, uh, of audio as a consumer product was the sixties, seventies and eighties. Right. And, uh, you know, it was obviously well pre internet, pre smartphone, pre digital, all that stuff. Uh, you know, there, you know, there, everyone wanted to have a stereo growing up and just about everybody did uh, you know whether it was you know component stereos for the uh for the crazy or the kind of uh console stereos that even a lot of our parents had right um uh that would that were uh, you know disguised cleverly disguised as furniture and you know all that stuff was analog it, you know it was not analog because of any kind of analog versus digital war there just wasn't anything else right i mean digital audio didn't exist so it was turntables and and in some cases tape deck and obviously radios and uh, and and all that uh, and all that kind of stuff um there you know there were basically three major categories of of thing that people would, uh, you know, would buy then that they look for now, um, source equipment, turntables, and then later cassette decks, and also other kinds of tape decks like reel to reel and, and eight track, um, amplifiers and receivers, uh, and, uh, uh, and of course speakers, right. And it was really sort of the mid sixties when all of that stuff started to become more commonplace and started to get really good. Um, you know, there, are you, uh, I know I'm just a little bit older than you. Are you old enough to have seen vacuum tube stereo equipment? Yes. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, you know, that of course was a big, that of course is how it all started. And then in the late sixties and then early seventies, there started to be the transition to, uh, you know, to, you know, what at that point was called solid state, um, uh, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to vacuum tubes, although you could still buy vacuum tube stereo equipment today. Um, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, there, you know, that transition was really during the seventies and in the mid to late seventies, you really hit the sort of golden era of hi-fi. Um, and so that's been the most popular era of, uh, of vintage audio. Although, um, there is a lot of really good, uh, stereo equipment from the 1980s. There's also kind of a lot of crap from the 1980s, um, because there was a desire to, you know, start using, um, solid state technology and even, uh, you know, the beginnings of microchip technology to drive down cost. And of course, then some of it started to get kind of crummy. Um, but there was lots of great stuff in the eighties too. And that was about as long as it lasted. And, you know, in the nineties, you started to see the decline of, of, of consumer hi-fi as kind of a mainstream thing. And it was pushed more toward, you know, just convenient ways to listen to music more and more. Um, and, uh, and to super high end for audiophiles, right? It also became see, very I, apparent with vehicles too, audio and vehicles in the nineties. Oh, isn't that true? hundred percent, hundred percent. You started to have to, you know, there were, there were, there were esoteric high end stereos you could buy for cars. Um, but, uh, you know, that, and more and more new, I and mean, you've seen those, you're seeing that even more and more today. Um, but the, you know, there, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of gear past the 1980s that people typically think of as looking for when they're looking for vintage audio, right? So we're really talking mostly about the, you know, the, the very late sixties, the seventies and, uh, you know, and, and into the eighties. Cause by the time you got to digital technology and streaming and all the stuff that we think of today, it's a totally different world than, uh, than what it was then. Um, so I thought maybe we'd start with speakers. That's what everybody sort of, uh, you know, sort of thinks about first and foremost. Here's what I want to say about uh, more than anything about, uh, vintage speakers. Big and heavy was the name of the game back then, right? The bigger and heavier, the better. <laughs> and smaller speakers, you know, there's been tons and tons of research and work over the years to try to make better sound from smaller speakers. It wasn't about that back then. That's not what people were interested in. Um, the, uh, you know, I mean, you would see furniture back in the day. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's not like the stuff was ugly. It was, uh, you know, like the, like the pioneer speakers you were looking at, uh, through my camera a few minutes ago. I mean, it was furniture grade cabinetry and, uh, you know, really, you know, really nice looking stuff, but it was not, it was not intended to be, I mean, nobody wanted to hide it. It was a, it was a source of pride, right? So, uh, you know, you wanted people to see your speakers. So that was, you know, so that's, that's, that's one thing to keep in mind shopping for vintage loudspeakers. Um, the nice thing about speakers is that from a technology perspective, they are relatively simple. So, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot to go wrong. Um, people who are interested in vintage speakers and who might see them at, uh, you know, typically you don't see them, unfortunately, at thrift stores. But if you're, you know, if you're going to happen to be at a garage sale or, you know, you're shopping on eBay or one of the audio specific used audio specific sites, which we can talk about a little uh, in a little bit. You know, if the drivers look uh, like they're good and not rotted and somebody didn't take their finger and poke it in the tweeter, like, <laughs> like I could never understand why people would do. Um, uh, you know, the overwhelming odds are the speaker probably works. And if you do a quick test and it works, then it's, it probably is going to work for quite some time. So, uh, you know, they speakers have that, uh, have that advantage and they're were, I mean, there were monsters in that era, JBL, Klipsch, Pioneer, KLH, Advent. I mean, all of them made great speakers in you know very significant quantity that are you know, not all that hard to get. I, I, of course, at wildly different price points, 
Um, and, uh, and it does help to do like anything these days helps to do some research and know what you're you know, looking for, because you can have one model that's really expensive and another one that's very cheap. And, you know, the cheap ones typically cheap for a reason. Um, and then into the eighties, still lots of great speakers, some different manufacturers came on board. The biggest American one was infinity. Uh, you know, a lot of us had infinity speakers. I still have a pair, uh, sitting around here. Uh, uh, and, you know, they became very popular, uh, BMW, Boston acoustics. I mean, there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of companies that really got started in the eighties and, and made, and made also great speakers that are, uh, some of those are really actually, you know, relatively speaking bargains today, um, because there were a lot of them made. Um, so it's, it, it's really, for some people, I think that's the best place to start, right? It's the easiest place to start in vintage audio, um, because they're, you know, they're, uh, it's the hardest to go terribly wrong. Um, uh, and it, it uh, it, it, the, the thing that needs the least maintenance. And I think that's really the, that's really the important bit. So then let's, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum and then we'll talk about the middle part, uh, uh, last. So at the other end are source components, right? And, and obviously we've talked, uh, you know, several times before on the show about various, uh, aspects of vinyl and the resurgence of vinyl and all of that. So, uh, you know, vintage turntables are a big deal these days, obviously. Um, the good news is there were giant, giant mountains of vintage of turntables made in the, in the seventies and eighties. And a lot of them are still around. Um, turntables are really sort of the second simplest of the, uh, vintage audio gear things that you could possibly be interested in getting, right? I mean, it's, you know, fundamentally it's a motor, um, and some stuff that spins, but not a lot left. If the motor works, the turntable probably works fine. Uh, you know, if you're buying it vintage, it needs a new cartridge, uh, or needle, as some people would say. And that's, uh, you know, that's usually about it. Um, the, uh, belt drive turntables also have a belt. Belts turn to goo. This is a big problem. Uh, a lot of turntables, unfortunately, probably ended up landfilled when all they needed was a new belt. Uh, belts are easy to get, but that is a maintenance item, right? It's something that you, that either needs to, that's either already been done or is going to need to be done relatively, uh, you know, relatively soon. So when people are looking at, at turntables, vintage turntables, I tend to recommend direct drive. Uh, it's just one less thing to have to worry about. And there were a lot of really good direct drive turntables made you know, in the heyday again from, you know, from Technics, uh, uh, also Pioneer, um, uh, uh, Kenwood, Denon, JVC. I mean, there are lots of really, really nice turntables. I use actually in my main stereo, I use a Denon turntable from 1984. Um, uh, I just think it's, you know, it was a high end turntable from that era, but, uh, you know, for me, that was still kind of the heyday of, of turntable technology. The other thing we got in the late seventies and, and, and all throughout the eighties was cassette decks. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about the fact that there is something of a cassette revolution happening. Um, unlike with turntables, vintage is almost your only option for cassette decks. So, uh, vintage cassette decks are, you know, popular for that reason there, that, that I'm aware of. Um, there's only, uh, uh, slash Tascam. It's the same company, um, that's making new cassette decks today i think there is a i think there's a knockoff coming from china um but that's really uh but the you know that's really essentially the only company that's done and they're and the tx are expensive they're like 700 bucks a piece so they're not you know they're not cheap you can go to garage sales and find cassette decks for 10 bucks right now the bad the bad the other thing that makes them different from turntables which is a bit of a challenge is that cassette decks were 
electromagnetically complex. They were really complex machines. And the, the need as cassette, you know, became very popular, the need to make cassette decks cheaply meant that, you know, they were made from questionable parts a lot of times that were just not designed to last 40 or 50 years. So most of the time, cassette decks are going to need some kind of maintenance to work. I, you know, I don't know how many cassette decks you owned. Uh, I was, I was really into tape trading when I was, uh, um, when I was, uh, you know, in, in college and, and for a few years thereafter in the eighties. And man, I used to, I mean, even when I was buying these things new at circuit city, I, you know, I'd burn through a cassette deck a year. I, I mean, they were just not, they were not, they were not built to last. Uh, now, that's not true of all of them, obviously. There were high-end models from, uh, you know, again, Pioneer and Kenwood and Denon and, and uh, the, you know, the king of the cassette decks was the Nakamichi Dragon. Um, uh, and, you know, those things. I haven't things, heard that name in so long. Oh, yeah, man. If you, if you really, if you really want some, uh, if you really want some audio porn, as people would say, go Google Nakamichi Dragon. And, and man, I mean, those cassette decks are just beautiful devices. Um, and they tend to sell for a lot of money these days as a result, as you can imagine. Um, but a cassette deck's going to need maintenance. I, 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 you know, the topic of maintenance is going to come up throughout this conversation. It's a, it's a thing for vintage audio. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no escaping it. There, the, any piece of electronics that's 50 plus years old is just more likely to have something that's going to go wrong with it than, uh, you know, than something that's made, uh, today. Even things that were made extremely well. I mean, that, you know, as we were talking about just before we hopped on the, uh, the actual podcast, I, you know, I had that, I had extensive maintenance work done on that Pioneer receiver. Right. It, I didn't just find it somewhere and power it up and all of the thing works great and sounds great and everything's cool. Uh, it, it did actually work. Um, but it did, uh, it did need a bunch of stuff done to it in order to continue to work. And now it's worked flawlessly for, you know, for me for almost 10 years. So, uh, and then, so that's cassette decks. You know, they're, they're cheap to buy. Um, they're, some of them are, are, are super retro cool, you know, just the, you know, with the wood panels and all that kind of stuff, you can get some really nice looking ones. Um, uh, there, uh, there are, it's, if you're going to buy cassettes, if you have a lot of cassettes, you're going to buy a vintage cassette deck. It's helpful to know a technician or a local company that will, uh, that will do some maintenance on them. And I would again say that sort of across the board, if you're going to get into vintage audio and you're not, uh, if you're doing it because you think you're, it's a sort of a budget conscious way to get in, you need to factor in the cost of that kind of, of service and preventative maintenance. What for people who are interested in starting a collection of vintage audio or are doing it now? Are there's, there's basically two options when, when you buy these products, you have the ready made already refurbished yep. audio. And then you yep. have like what you did. You bought it. You knew it needed work, and you got the work that's necessary work done on the on the receiver, whatever it was, to to make it work, to make it sound. What is the cheaper avenue to go, or are they both equal? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that is a, that is a great question. Uh, you know, there it. I think it's probably cheaper um, to. Find the piece of equipment that you want kind of, you know, in whatever electrical condition it's in to a point. Um, uh, as, and as long as it's in a cosmetic condition that you like, cause you're going to be looking at the thing even after it comes back for the most part, other than basic cleaning. Um, 
the and then have and then have somebody work on it as long as you know a company that's that's reputable um you know i think that's the you know that for some folks is going to be the bigger challenge but that's you know that's that is a little less expensive it, typically people who and there are a lot of people and a lot of people who sell you know refurbished vintage audio gear on ebay for example you know big big you know big time uh, uh you know cottage industry obviously but lots of people that do it um there you know that stuff does tend to be pricey um if you're buying it already sort of uh sort of souped up and i mean some of the you know, some of the monster, the big monster receivers, like we were talking about, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're literally selling for thousands of dollars, right? I mean, it's not, it's not cheap. Now, there were, you know, there were smaller versions of all of that stuff, right? I mean, because they're, you know, the market was so huge back then, uh, you know, they're, you know, just to use this pioneer as an example, it was the 1980. I mean, they made everything, they made a 580, a 680, a 780, an 880, a 980, a 1280, and a 1980. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, you can find nice samples of all of those and the, you know, the smaller and less powerful ones, uh, can be just as fun and they're much less expensive. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's typically a question of what, from, you know, from my perspective, what people are more, uh, you know, willing to do. It's a longer haul to, you know, find the piece of gear yourself and then have somebody refurb it. And then, you know, you can be talking about months before you even ever get to use the thing. You buy one that's already refurbed and they ship it to you and you're plugging it in and turning it on. Right. So, uh, you know, there it's, uh, you know, this, that's, that's another big consideration. It's, you know, the, it's the age old thing of time versus money. Right. <laughs> yeah. My, question that comes from that is are there places that sell parts like kind of like what we talked about with the muscle cars there's places that sell a part for a gto in the 70s or a cutlass in the 70s are there places that sell refurbished parts for these for the stereo equipment yep there sure are Uh, just as an example like i needed um uh i needed a lamp for, uh, you know, the, the dial, you know, you saw how lit up that thing was, right? I needed the dial lamp for the SX 1980 and I just went on eBay and found one. I mean, a lot of that kind of stuff. Now I'm not saying every part for every piece of equipment is made, but there's a lot of that kind of stuff available, uh, uh, on eBay. And there are some things that, you know, depending on how handy you are, right? There are some things that are, you know, relatively easy to do. I mean, some, some, uh, we didn't, we didn't talk yet about receivers and amplifiers, but the, you know, the main issue for the most part for a lot of those is just that the controls get dirty and need cleaning or you get that sort of scratchy sound and it sounds a little distorted. And, you know, maybe, you know, the left channel is louder than the right channel unless you, unless you fiddle with the, that's just dirt. Right. And, uh, you know, for some people, you know, disassembling the things and spraying a bunch of contact cleaner in there is, uh, you know, their idea of a good time on a Saturday afternoon. Right. Um, for some people, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. So, uh, you know, there, you know, there are definitely options also therein. Um, sometimes, you know, there are some things where parts are unavailable, but for a lot of things, because they were, again, they were, these things were all discrete components, right? It was before the microchip. So, uh, you know, it's not like you're, it's not like for the most part, you're trying to source something really exotic. Is there an opportunity for people that don't want to go on eBay? Don't want to use Craigslist. Don't want to use Facebook to, to go to these estate sales. Oh, um, yeah. In the summer and find a deal. Does that still exist? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, garage sales. And I mean, I, you know, I, I just walking around my neighborhood, you know, I, I in the summertime, I will see stuff for sale even still. I, you know, I saw, um, I saw a pair last summer. I saw a pair of Ohm Walsh loudspeakers, um, in, 
just absolutely mint condition. The guy was selling for 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, and I just, I, I mean, I, you know, I need another pair of loudspeakers. I'm like, I need a hole in my head. But, but I, I walked by that and I was like, someone is going to be really happy. Um, and so it's not, it, that's not uncommon at all. If you're, if you're the kind of person that enjoys at all going to estate sales and garage sales, there's definitely opportunity to pick up, you know, cool looking vintage and sounding vintage audio for, you know, often astonishingly good prices. Um, uh, and it's really, it's really the only place where you're going to see that. I mean, the, you know, the thing about eBay for all things, uh, vintage audio or whatever, is it's almost the very definition of market pricing, right? So, uh, you know, it's hard to get bargains on eBay. It's also rare that you're going to massively overpay for the same, uh, you know, for the same reasons. But, uh, you know, it's not that if you're, if you're doing it because you're interested in finding, uh, you know, some vintage audio gear kind of on the cheap. Yeah. The, I mean, the only way to really get that done is, uh, is to get, uh, to get lucky at a garage or estate sale. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, I've often thought about doing that. You know, obviously, we've got some great areas around the city that... You could spend a Saturday or a Sunday in that area, just going from a state sale or garage sale to garage sale. You probably would find some some killer stuff because you know there are people that don't know the value and just want to get rid of it. They don't care how much they get for it; they just want it out of the house. 
Yep. That's, uh, I mean, that's exactly, exactly right. That's what those, that's what those things are for. So yeah. And you know, there again, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're trying to find vintage audio, you know, you gotta, and you're going to go to garage sales, you know, you got to think of the demographic, right? I mean, you're looking for, you're looking for a place where you're likely to find people who are in their sixties. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of neighborhood that you want to go to the garage sales for to find, uh, to find good deals that way. As far as this piece that you have, and that, you know, we talked about the speakers, talked about the receiver. Now, you know, there's the, the EQ. You've got the, what, what's the other uh, piece that you have too? Oh, yeah. So I've got, I mean, I've got, I've got some pure vintage audio bling, right? I mean, you know, there was a, you know, there, there was a lot of that stuff made in the seventies too, which, you know, which I think is kind of fun. So yeah, I have a, I have a, I have a Sansui graphic equalizer that's got the spectrum display and a, and a reverb, a pioneer reverb amp and, uh, and, um, uh, dynamic range expander. None of that. I don't use any of that stuff for anything other than lights. It's just, it, it's, it, 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 it's the audio, uh, the audio equivalent of the lava lamps that I have up here too, right? Cause that's, that's the vibe I was looking for, which actually brings me to another interesting bit about vintage audio. So the other thing that, that people immediately will think of about vintage audio that, that is all about kind of the, uh, you know, the aesthetic and the vibe are consoles. Right. Or, you know, the, are the big console stereos, which, which a lot of those were older. Um, but you know, they're, uh, you know, they did still certainly make them in the, you know, even in, into the seventies. Um, and you know, it was, you know, that was, you know, it's that that's the thing that appeals to people who are super into mid century modern furniture. Right. Um, the thing about those is that they did tend to be, it's, you know, there's no, there's no hard and fast rule like anything, but they did tend to be more about the furniture and less about the stereo. Right. So, you know, most of the time the stereos in those consoles weren't great. Um, they're, uh, and, and they're, especially the ones that are a little older that were really more kind of, you know, fifties and sixties. Um, they're, you know, they're, the turntables were, you know, not something you'd probably want to play records on for the most part, unless you're super handy and into tinkering with stuff. Um, and the speakers were often the worst part, right? They were, they were kind of terrible. Now, if you're, if you're into that and you, uh, and you find a, um, you find a really nice piece furniture wise, one of the cool things about those is that most of them can be retrofitted with, you know, any, almost any era of electronics. I mean, there's a, there, one of the, one of the guys who's, who's, uh, uh, tweets I like seeing has a, as a, you know, beautiful looking console, um, that he's completely gutted and, and, and put new stuff in. Right. So, uh, you know, they, they put new speaker drivers in it. He's got a, thor- a really nice Thorns turntable that he put in that was not part of the original piece. Um, but that's, you know, again, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're at all handy, that's the kind of thing that, uh, um, that, you know, that could be fun, but I would advise against the idea of buying a console based on the idea that it's going to sound good. Um, because it's probably, that's probably one of the worst ways to try to get good sound out of vintage audio. When you talk council, define what that means to people that may not understand that. Yeah. So they were, you know, they were these, they were these, they were these really large pieces of furniture, almost like a, you know, almost like a big side table in a dining room or credenza. And, and the, uh, on the, on, on the sides were the, uh, one unit, right? On the sides were the speakers, you know, built into the thing, designed to, 
as much as you possibly could have them sort of not look like speakers, right? Um, uh, and then there were there were doors in the middle where you'd put your records, um, and then you'd lift up the top of this thing, and there was the amplifier and the turntable. My right? grandparents had one of those. I love. Oh, I'm sure they did. Didn't everybody's <laughs> Schiller Park, Illinois? I used yeah. to love that thing. I, it's it sounded great when I was a kid. You know, um, I've tried to look for something like that, but you know, those things don't exist pretty much anymore. No, you know, it's funny. There, there, there have been a couple of companies very esoteric that tried to, you know, that, that essentially tried to market a, you know, a new version of that. Um, but again, you know, they were very expensive, right? I mean, you know, these were not heavy too. Oh, for sure. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the ones that were, you know, that were built with modern electronics recently and, but designed to look, you know, to have that, you know, mid-century modern kind of look to them. Um, yeah, I mean, they were, the ones I saw were, you know, 10, 15 grand. Wow. So not a cheap way to do it. Whereas you go off again, you go off and walk by a garage sale and see one of those things for sale for 50 bucks. Probably doesn't work. Um, but you know, again, if you're the kind of person that enjoys tinkering, you know, you could, you could literally then drive to, uh, um, apt uh and uh or you know for those who don't live in the chicago area uh you know i don't know the someplace a little nicer than best buy but whatever the local place is that sells even halfway decent stereo equipment you know go buy some stereo equipment and and you know take out the old stuff and put that stuff in with you know probably a somewhat of a minimum of muss and fuss and just a little wiring and boom you're uh you're ready to go interesting back in the day when you bought your equipment it was piece by piece right oh yeah and that the, the rule of thumb was that was always the better quality way for your music to sound or your audio to sound you know i mean if it was bought piece by piece because you can mix and match pioneer may have a great receiver kenwood may have great speakers that you want whatever the case is you you were able to kind of be more flexible whereas if you bought like a sony you know uh receiver cassette turntable thing you were kind of limited to what you could do with it um because it was one piece and theory was is that the quality wasn't as good as it could be although the quality was you know was good but it was never superior to what it was piece by piece um when you talk about the cassette decks that we that we talked about cds came along in the late 80s early 90s Yep. And the CD players back in the day, the first generation were very expensive. Yeah, they sure were. Now, as technology grew, they became cheaper. My question is, when you have, it's a two-part question. When you have those vintage CD players, are they better sound quality than the advancements that were made as the technology improved right and 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 two are they compatible with something like what you have that was made in the late 70s early 80s yeah so so the the i'll I'll do this i'll tackle the second part of the question first because it's that that's the easiest yeah i mean all of those cd players were made with regular line outputs so they're i mean you can plug that into any stereo Uh, you know there no no issue whatsoever um you know it's funny my first I got my first CD player uh, as a graduation present from college. I, you know, I held off a little. Um, uh, and so that was 1988. Um, 
Uh, and it was, uh, it was a Magnavox, which is kind of funny because you don't think wow. of them as really, yeah, I know. Right. Um, and, and yet they were, you know, these were still early days for CD and they were, you know, they were, cause Magnavox was owned by Philips. Philips was one of the, the inventors of the technology and they, you know, they were, they were making actually pretty decent CD players at the time. So that's, uh, you know, that was the, that was the, the one I had, and, you know, there's, I obviously don't have it anymore, but th- there's absolutely nothing. If I still had that thing and it worked, I could plug it in right here and play CDs from it right now. No problem. Um, the, you know, now <laughs> there's the bigger question about how would it sound? Um, and the answer is probably pretty bad. Um, uh, you know, there, there, that, you know, if, if there was a, if there's a tech, if there's a technology I would advise against buying vintage for of any flavor, it's digital. Um, you know, the early, the early digital analog converters that are a part of every CD player, even ones that are made now were just terrible sounding. Um, and, 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 you know, it wasn't for, you know, it wasn't for, you know, really quite some time, you know, well into the nineties, um, when you started to see that improve, you know, in a significant way. Um, I, you know, I just, you know, every time I think about the sound of early compact disc, I cringe. I mean, it was thin and brittle and bright and just, I mean, it sucked all of the life out of music. So the good thing is most of those are probably not with us anymore because they weren't built to last anyway. Um, but you know, that is, you know, I would not, I would not advise anyone to, uh, you know, to go buy a vintage CD player unless you were purely in it for, I don't know, the looks. Yeah. Although there again, I mean, the other thing about those things is they were ugly. They were just ugly for them. The vast majority of them were just ugly black boxes. Nothing like, you know, nothing like you just saw. Right. I mean, that's just not how they were made. So, uh, you know, there, yeah, there's, there's little, there's little joy in the, in the, in the vintage CD market. In fact, it's, it's funny. I wanted a vintage CD player in this stereo just for looks. Um, but I couldn't find one that, uh, you know, it still had to work. Um, but, uh, but I couldn't find one that had anywhere close to the same, uh, aesthetic. Um, uh, and so I just sort of, I sort of gave up and like, you know, I got plenty of places to play digital audio. I don't really care. I've always thought that because the name of the game back in the day was the receiver, the speakers, all that stuff, billion pieces. Yep. And the quality was always those, especially Pioneer, the reputation it had was, yeah. was top of the line. And I always often wonder that about CDs because I remember I held off on getting a CD player too because my concern was the quality of sound. Uh, I remember friends in the neighborhood getting a CD player or their parents getting a CD player and going over the house and listening to it. Because I, I don't know if you remember, there, there was in the beginning this, I don't know if you call it a movement or a, a very strong opinion am- amongst a lot of people that cassettes sounded better than the CDs when they came out originally. Like, why get this? This is, this sounds like crap. This is not that good. I'm going to stick with my cassettes. And a lot of people did. And then the advancements were made. And of course, CD surpassed it and just kept going and didn't look back. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was not a, it, it was, it was rough in the beginning. And then, you know, I, I, you know, I went through a whole, I went through a lot of effort in the nineties to try to get digital to sound good. Um, because you know, the, the, uh, um, I mean, there were, there was a lot of music that, and we talked about this on another show. I think there was a lot of music that came out of the nineties that was only released on CD. 
Um, so, uh, you know, if you wanted to buy the music and couldn't stream it at that point, so if you wanted to buy the music, you were buying CDs. So I went through a lot of effort to get, uh, you know, to get something and, and did succeed, but to get something that sounded good. You know, now when people ask me, you know, they say, I need a CD player. What should I buy? I'm just like, just go buy a Blu-ray player. Right. I mean, that's that that plays CDs and it'll play it a thousand times better than any CD player you could have bought in 1988. <laughs> that's, you know, that's for sure. But yeah, that's not the, you know, that's not the fun part of, uh, of, uh, of vintage audio anyway. Right. I mean, the, you know, they're playing, you know, you want to play in your vintage audio rig, you want to play tapes or records. That's just right. kind of, that's just kind of the thing. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what, that's what most people, uh, that's what most people think of with vintage audio and what, uh, what I think most people focus on. I did want to comment on one thing you talked about though. There were definitely, especially in the, in the eighties, you know, there were these kind of rack systems, right? Uh, you know, the all in ones, the, the single brand, uh, you know, they were typically sold at Sears or Kmart or, you know, whatever and not at, not at high end audio stores, which used to be very common and sadly are not that common anymore. Um, uh, or even, or even mid-fi stores. Like what was the one? Uh, United Audio Centers was the big one around here in the Chicago area, right? Um, uh, and, and, you know, those rack systems, those typically were, they were built to a price point. They were typically not great. And the thing that often suffered the most was the speakers. So, uh, you know, you could, but, but generally speaking, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're, uh, I, the people I see who buy rack systems now, to, I mean, to the extent that you can even find one from a vintage audio perspective, uh, you know, their whole thing is just the look, right? They're, they're not interested in that all that much in how the thing actually sounds. Um, and that was pretty much true back then, too. It was, it was just as true in the 70s and 80s as it is now. It hasn't really changed. When you think of our generation... You're a little bit older than I am and my age and people that are a little bit younger than me. There is an appreciation, a newfound appreciation for all things vintage when it comes to audio, yep. whether it's vinyl, which is if you would have told me 20 years ago that vinyl would outsell CDs again, like it's yeah. I would say you're crazy. Yeah. Um, and there's a big, huge push now for vinyl collectors. Every website or almost every website you go on with a band, they have reissues of the old classic albums with different colored vinyl. It's, it's a huge memorabilia piece now. I mean, that's yep. kind of way it's viewed, but then you tie that in with the audio and doing these refurbished audio systems like you have. What I'm trying to get is that I think the generation of, of kids today of young people today, I should say, they don't have, they'll, they don't have that same appreciation i think for that type of product right you know vinyl is pretty much analog these systems look to them they look like clunky they don't they're not they're not there's nothing really kind of sleek about them compared to what's out now right that is definitely true right so this is kind of our generation i think is kind of the last generation that is really appreciating this in my opinion yeah, I, you know, there's definitely there's definitely something to that. It's funny because, you know, there the one of the most important. There's a lot of young people who buy turntables. To your point, right? But the you know one of the most important features for turntables that uh, for a, you know for you know my kids' generation, your son's generation, right, is 
uh, is actually a Bluetooth connection, which for me is the last thing I would want my turntable to do. Right. Um, uh, so, and, 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 you know, would not have a place in a, in a vintage system. So I, you know, I do think that there's, I do think that there's truth to that. I mean, I think that, you know, again, a lot of it is a lot of vintage audio is about nostalgia. I freely admit that for myself. Um, and, and, you know, is, is, is about, you know, having the, having, you know, a working kind of stereo that was the kind of stereo that we grew up with, or even, you know, even for people a little younger than us, you know, who saw our parents grow up with it. Right. And, you know, just thought it was, you know, thought it was cool and a fun way to, uh, and a fun way to listen to music. What will be interesting to see is, you know, if the vinyl resurgence continues and it certainly doesn't show any signs of slowing, that's, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, will, you know, will it drag some more vintage audio stuff with it, uh, and continue to do so, uh, you know, and, and will, uh, you know, and I've seen some, I've seen some examples of that purely from an aesthetic perspective. I mean, there's more, there's more new audio equipment being made that looks like it was made in the seventies than I can ever remember, uh, uh, you know, uh, there being before. Uh, and, and in fact, I think there was, you know, there was definitely a period in the, in, you know, in the nineties and, and into the two thousands where that's the last thing any audio designer would want to do is make audio equipment that looked like it was made in the seventies. Now there's, you know, there's all kinds of that stuff. I mean, tech and even, even some of the same names from back then, Technics and Yamaha and Luxman and Leak. I mean, they're all making, they're all making stuff that looks now exactly like the stuff that they made in the seventies. Um, and, uh, but of course, with some modern conveniences that the stuff in the seventies didn't have. And so, you know, that's a, that's another thing, uh, you know, that, that is, that bears mentioning. I mean, you can have, if all, if you don't have the personal connection to the nostalgia part, uh, you, but you like the look, you can absolutely buy fully modern stereo equipment that looks vintage, right? It is not, and that's very, very good, right? I mean, it's not mandatory to actually buy vintage audio equipment if you're not, you know, either doing that one branch, like we talked about of bargain hunting, or if you're not going the pure nostalgia thing where, you you know, it's not just that you want vintage, you know, something that looks vintage, you want the actual piece, right? Uh, you know, which was, uh, which was true in my case. So, uh, you know, that is another, that is another thing that people can do and not just with consoles, like we were talking about, but with almost everything stereo related. When you put this together, and you go by the pieces you want, you refurbish them. What is a typical cost of maintenance? Is it something that you need to expect to have an annual maintenance cost? Or will these things kind of last, depending on who does it, if it's a reputable place, will last several years without any work being done on it? Yeah, amplifiers slash receivers. A receiver, of course, is just an amplifier with a radio built in, right? So it's the same thing. So amplifiers. Um, uh, speakers and with the exception of the, of the cartridge, right. Of the, of the, of the needle, um, the, uh, uh, turntables. Yeah. If, if you, if they're, if, if you buy them fully working or you get them fully working for the most part, you're going to, you're going to be able to enjoy, um, you know, for quite some, uh, for quite some time, if they've been serviced and are working well, I, you know, I mean, anything, you know, anything of that age can end up with problems, but, you know, just as an example, I, you know, I did, uh, you know, on that, on the, on the 1980, I mean, I had it completely restored and it's worked absolutely perfectly without even a hiccup now for, I think going on right about 10 years. Um, so, and, and should for another, I mean, it put the truth is at this point, you know, probably I'll ask me. Um, so the, you know, there, you know, that kind of stuff for sure. 
the big caveat to that, I would say in the, in the, you know, as we've talked about a little bit would be tape decks, right? I mean, they're just much more, much, much more, um, you know, maintenance, uh, um, uh, intensive and you know, just cause they have so many more moving parts. And, you know, we talked mostly about cassette, but, uh, you know, I'm a real to real guy. You know, I mean, reel-to-reel decks need a certain amount of maintenance on a fairly regular basis. Not a ton, but some. Um, you know, it's just uh, it, it's just sort of the nature of the beast. With this resurgence of vintage audio gear, is there also a... What's the word I'm trying to find? Is there a, um, is there a, a surge in audio places where you can take these pieces and get them fixed get them refurbished well the good news is it does seem it does seem that there is uh, you know that that those places do at least still exist right i mean there's a you know there's a there's a there's a local company in chicago that i think actually did just open another uh another location um and i wouldn't be surprised if even more of that starts to happen because i can tell you there's uh there's one there's one outfit in california that's like that's sort of the I don't know how to describe it. The, the, you know, the, the audio restorer of the rich and famous, I guess, kind of right. Um, uh, Pacific stereo is the, is the, is the name. And his waiting list is like five years. <laughs> um, crazy. Isn't that, isn't that insane? Um, so yeah, I mean, you literally, you literally have to, you literally have to put down, uh, a deposit for the guy and tell him what, you know, what you're having done. And he'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll call you and I'll call you in, you know, every year to let you know kind of how it's going. Um, and when your time is going to come up. Um, uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, I, seriously, business opportunity for anybody who could do it. Um, nice. and, and then, you know, there's, you know, there are local places that don't do nearly that kind of level of work, um, but that are only charging, you know, depending on what it is, uh, you know, a hundred bucks or so and, and are not doing, not doing what I would call a complete restoration, but just servicing, right. Making sure that the thing's actually working and fixing anything that may be wrong with it. Um, the one here in Chicago is called Deltronics, uh, and, uh, you know, they'll do the, they'll do the basic stuff for you. And, and, um, I mean, I haven't used them in years, but, uh, but they're, you know, they don't have some kind of crazy gigantic wait list. I mean, you just go in and drop the thing off and a couple of weeks later at the most, you get it back. So, um, yeah, I, and the, you know, there are, that is not, that is not a reason I would ever tell anybody, you know, unless you live, you know, way away from a big city. Um, that is not a reason I would ever tell somebody not to get into vintage audio. If you want to get it, if you want to get it working, you can find people to get it working. When you listen to this, when you listen to your vintage audio, do you have standards that which music can be played on it? Is it open for business for everything? Are you, are you like a snob? Like, you know, I don't want that being played on this or to walk me through your experience of listening to this stuff. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, with the exception of the fact that I only play stuff up here on record or tape, uh, the, the answer would be no. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was just, I was just playing an album, uh, up here a couple of days ago that was released this month. Right. So, you know, I don't have any, uh, you know, it's not like I come up here and I have to listen to Blue Oyster Cult. Right. Or, you know, I mean, it's not it doesn't for me, it doesn't work that way. Um, the uh, you know, the 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 big thing is that, you know, I'm I'm watching the record player. I'm watching the tape spin. 
Um, and as long as I can, uh, as long as I can do that, uh, then I'm perfectly happy about it. Now, you know, I, I will, I will say that one of the things that I personally like the most about vintage audio is it definitely does have a different sound than my, than my main stereo. Most people are not in, obviously are not into the kind of main stereo living that I personally am into. Um, you know, with a giant, with, you know, giant, speakers and a you know huge stereo so you know i have my fully modern uh hi-fi that does the fully modern hi-fi stuff that i love uh and but then you know it's nice to come up here and you know i don't know it's kind of like it's kind of like wearing old comfortable jeans right jay <laughs> um it's sort of just it's that experience with music um uh, and, uh, and i think that's uh i think that's kind of why i like it. it's a very it's a very relaxed comfortable sound so you got the lava lamps up there. You oh, got yeah. Vintage audio gear. You've got, got some my, stuff on the wall. Oh yeah, got my, you bring got my coffee. Do you bring tea? Do you bring a beer up there? You oh, know, any, depends on the time of day. Uh, you know, any, uh, any or all of the above. Yeah, you got the Pink Floyd and Rush posters over here. You got the Yes and Grateful Dead posters on that side. So yeah, if, in fact, in fact, uh, you know what I really, the only thing I really don't have up here that I probably should is like, uh, you know, a black light and some of those, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever it was that those posters were made out of yeah, yeah. that, uh, that would glow weird in the, in the black lighting. I did have that as a teenager. <laughs> you got to find the old vintage number of the beast black light. Yeah, I, oh man. Can Dang. you imagine? I, then I'd probably never leave here. You know, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have pizza brought up or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost a form of therapy in a way too, right? I mean, you 100%. Know, you're up you're in your man cave and you've got this beautiful piece of vintage audio and it just it kind of becomes the day, right? It be, kind of becomes what you want to kind of escape for an hour or two and just kind of listen to records and and reminisce and just hear. Yep. I mean, it's kind of like what what guys do with muscle cars, right? They open up their garage and they sit out in front of it with a couple of beers and they just have the hood open and it's like part of the group part of the yeah exa- exactly and uh, you know and, and it's funny but it's up it's up here um that you know it's really fun for me to sit with uh you know with the exception of the uh, you know literally the light of the dashboard if you will right um you know the uh the light gl- glowing from the gear and the lava lamps but all the rest of the lights off and uh, you know just focus completely on the music that i'm listening to no phone no ipad no nothing else just you know sit here and listen to the record play that's the way it's done that's the way it was done you know when you yeah. got a record back in the day cassette or cd uh we didn't have a lot of things pulling us in different directions and when we were kids or young we would that would babysit us we'd go in our rooms and we'd read the liner notes and we'd just sit and listen to the music and you know we would just run through the record or run through the cassette or the cd over and over again i mean if you got an album on a friday which typically was payday and you went to the record store afterwards like i did i would go shoot down higgins all the way down to to um, Cumberland and go to Rolling Stone Records, you know. Oh, I love that place. And right out, you know, Harlem, the Harlem Irving Plaza, and everything. Yep. You know, we I would work at the grocery store until like ten, and then on Friday would be payday, and you'd you'd have your friends meet you in the parking lot. You'd all go in one or two cars, and you'd head down to the record store. You would go get something to eat afterwards, like a hot dog or a burger or something. 
and you'd have your music for the weekend. And you'd get home and you'd put the headphones on so because your parents were asleep by then, but you couldn't wait to listen to it. And over the weekend, you would just study everything about the cover and study everything about the liner notes and listen to the music. And I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's something to the ear that we have when it comes to music. Like your ear is your your ear is very good. My ear is very good. People from our generation is very good because we listened to it. It wasn't background music. We listened to every note. We listened 100%. to every track over and over again. We knew what was coming after we listened to it. We knew. You know, and even if we didn't play instruments, we 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 appreciated what they were doing. Now, it's, everything's background. Starbucks, Target, whatever store you go in, there's music playing. It's it's point, click, and download. You skip, skip, skip when you're playing. There's nothing romantic about it. Yeah, and I, you know, I do, th- I do, I do, I agree with all of that. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel, I, I often feel, uh, you know, that I'm unusual and that you know, listening to music for me is a foreground activity. Uh, which is not to say I never do it in the background, but sure. uh, I mean, I, you know, I specifically make time and enjoy making time to sit and listen to music as a foreground activity. And I do think you're right. I mean, I do think, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that a, a vintage audio system is a very inviting way to do that. Right. Because you get to, you get to just sort of slip into the whole vibe of the thing. Um, and you know, the, you know, the, not only does the music suck you in, but your music playback system sucks you in too. Um, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, which is, you know, which is really great fun. That was the activity. You'd sit yeah. and you'd listen and you'd turn the record over, turn the cassette over and you'd listen. And then you'd put it back on side A or side one and you'd start listening again. I mean, you would listen to an album three, four five times in one day that you just bought. And typically you bought one, maybe two because you could afford one or two. And you want to know what's scary for me is that the gro- you talked about grocery store. I, you know, I sacked I sacked uh, groceries at the grocery store, and the place that sold records in the little town I li- uh, lived in and grew up in was literally right next to the grocery store that I worked. <laughs> that at. is dangerous. That <laughs> it is was dangerous. Super that, dangerous. Yeah, they'd hand me my paycheck right then after. But you you just tell the grocery store. <laughs> can you just forward it to the record store right there? For sure. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, but. That's what it was, man. And and there was a, a romantic way about it. You looked forward to it all week. You know, you wanted to work more hours so you could make more money because you could buy records and stuff. And um so true. Yeah. And and now it's it it um you know, I I'm, you know, I know your your kids, I know my son has an appreciation for music similar to what we had uh when we were growing up. But when you listen to hours and hours of music. It's almost like playing hours and hours of basketball or hours and hours of baseball. You're going to be good at it. And when you listen to hours and hours of music, your ear hears things that maybe a casual listener just doesn't hear. Um, And I think that's one of the benefits of our generation is the amount of music that I can't even tell you how many hours of my lifetime I've listened to music. Oh, I can't, I couldn't possibly either. I wouldn't even know where to begin. And, you know, and and it's, it's funny because, you know, they're, you know, I went through periods of my life when my kids were little and all that, where, you know, I listened to less of it than I did before that or since. Um, but, uh, you know, as soon as, uh, you know, I, I did still did it every chance I could, it's, it, you know, it's funny, my, you know, when, uh, when my kids were, were really little, um, uh, you know, I would, uh, I, you know, I would, I would get one hour on the weekend 
where my wife was like, okay, I'm taking the kids out and you better get your ass in front of the stereo because, because she obviously would be well, because this is what you're getting. And so boom, that's exactly what I did. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I would, my butt would be right there on the couch between the speakers and wouldn't move for that entire hour except to flip sides. Um, <laughs> no, it's nice to see though, when a, when a kid has that appreciation, you know, that, has that romance for music or anything, right? Anything artistically, whether it's books or drawing or painting or whatever, because it really does slow down the moment. It You live in the moment when you have that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it really is a beautiful thing. I encourage anyone that's listening that they have young kids, you know, don't, don't, my advice is don't push the music on them. Just have it playing. When you're in the car and sooner or later, they'll connect with it. They'll start to say, Oh, play that one song that you were playing like last week. And it's got, you know, these lyrics in it, whatever. They'll start to pick up on that stuff and they'll start to, it'll just grow from there. But when you sit a kid down and say, listen to this, this is how great it is. You're, they're listening to dad's music and they're probably not going to connect with it and they're going to be turned off. So just, just play it in the car. When you pick them up from school, when you're driving around with them to the baseball practice or basketball practice and sooner or later, it'll just start to connect. Yep. That certainly was the case for me. I mean, my kids listened to me that heard music when they were growing up just because I was playing it. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, there, there was no way that that wasn't going to happen. So, and of course they've both ended up, you know, I don't know whether it was because of that or whether they're just genetically predisposed to, but they're both massively, massively into music as, uh, as you know, yep. Well, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully some of this vintage audio stuff will rub off on uh, the younger generation. But in any case, you know, lots of good ways for uh, for all kinds of different people to enjoy it. So hope that uh, hope that this gave at least uh, you know a little bit of information that could uh, that could further that pursuit for people who are so inclined. Rob, it's been a blast as always, man. I man, when you show when you turn the phone around before we, get, <laughs> I'm like, it took me like ten minutes to come down from like this euphoric high that i got by looking at that like i was just it was like a holy shit moment well i wanted you to be as excited about this stuff as i was so it looks like i accomplished the goal (laughs) definitely did and uh it's it's a beautiful piece of uh piece of audio so thanks again for doing this as always man you're you're great and uh great presentation great conversation i appreciate that jay it is always a pleasure to be on the show and uh we'll look forward to the next time as well Check out all the episodes with Skylab. They're all phenomenal. They're all great. We've done, I think this is probably our fifth or sixth episode that we've done over the last couple of years. We usually do one every quarter. So usually it's the last month of the quarter. So whether it's talking about how to build a a modern stereo system, whether it's talking about, you know, earplugs, whether it's talking about the history of vinyl, whatever it is. Uh, always informative, always a great conversation. Check out all those old episodes and uh, enjoy. And thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate you stopping by. Talk soon. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And thanks again.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.